What is up, everybody? It's another edition of Icy Takes with Jeff and Big Dave. Jeff, another gorgeous day. Uh, it's, it's hard to find any days that has been really doom and gloom for us when we record. How are you, bud? Oh, not too bad, Dave. You know, it's a, like you said, it's another beautiful day. Uh, the August humidity doesn't seem to be coming around too often, knock on wood, but um, another beautiful day, another week. The Atlanta Braves are in first place. Life couldn't be any better. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of the opposite over here where it's another day and another week where the Pirates only get one win on average since the All-Star <laughs> breaks. So they find themselves in dead last. Uh, trying to outdo the Miami Marlins, which I think is pretty incredible if they actually pull it off. Right, right. I mean, the Marlins are struggling to get people in their building. And, I mean, the Pirates are doing the same thing. But we'll get into the whole the Pirates going at their fans, which you have some explaining to do big time after what your pitching coach said over the weekend. Oh, oh, Jeff, I, I know I have some explaining to do that. You, you always, you always make sure I'm dotting my I's and crossing my T's. So absolutely. But first, put me on my toes. But first, before we get into our MLB and NHL talk that we normally go through, how was your weekend? Weekend was pretty spectacular. Had some friends come down, uh, uh, ate, ate some food and, Hung out with my brothers, played some cornhole, played some bocce ball. Um, oh, okay, a little Italian game. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, a little bocce ball, a little ping pong, cornhole, and uh, had a good weekend. Had a softball tournament on Sunday, won the first game, lost the second game. So we lost in the quarterfinals, and uh, um, season's over, but it was a fun season. Good, good. Yeah, you did have yourself a weekend. Uh, a tad bit, a tad bit. So, Jeff, I think I'm ready when you are. Cool. Sounds good. Let's get her going. Okay, Jeff. Why don't you just set me up so that I can uh, get my thoughts together and then hopefully rampage for like five minutes. All right. Well, in case you had not been following on the Twitter or in the local Pittsburgh market, the uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates have gotten so bad at this point, they have lost, I believe, what is it, 24 out of the last 28? Yep. Is that the correct numbers there? Yep. Um, they've lost twenty four out of, or yeah twenty four out of their last twenty eight, and it, things have gotten so bad over at Federal Street down on the North Shore that the pitching coach Ray Searage has come out and said any criticism that has come from fans as far as how the pitching staff has been controlled this year, he is saying fans need to become more educated on the game of baseball and that it is not the staff nor the team's fault that they are in this uh, collapse that we have seen so many times from this organization. Uh, Dave, what is going on over at Federal Street? So if it's not the staff or the players' fault, um, whose fault is it? Is it the... Is it the fans' fault for not showing up to the games? Is that the reason why they're losing everything? Or is it the fact that they can't keep a, a six-run lead, a four-run lead, a ten-run lead? I don't think they blew a ten-run lead in this stretch, but it feels like it. But it, it feels like that they can't even hold on to the simplest of leads late in the game when with any bullpen pitcher coming out. Felipe Vasquez, I'm pretty sure has one save opportunity since the all-star break. And with four wins, it's hard to find a place where you can have a save opportunity in general. So you're not even getting 
I mean, that's the one positive about all this. With the Pirates losing as much, they're saving Felipe Vasquez and maybe can get more for what they were asking for next year because he's barely being used. His, uh, he's being put on the shelf, essentially, and they're dusting him off every once in a while. But I still just... I'm just focused on that last part that you quote that you were uh, reading from Ray Searidge's quote saying it's not the staff or I believe you said or the player's fault. So whose fault is it? Is it the other team for just being that much better than the Pirates right now? It's that one. That last part got to me. And it's confusing that if you are a fan or a media member and you are just going based off what the theory was back in 2011, which was true, which was they were pitching the contact. And if race here is just going to come out saying that we need to educate ourselves based off um, what they are trying to do right now, then, you know, maybe it's time to try a different philosophy instead of trying to do what you're doing right now. So I like cut me off, Jeff. I don't know where else to go right now. Here's, here's the thing that, that I, I just don't understand with this organization is the amount of arrogance that comes out of that office over at PNC Park, which is a beautiful ballpark. Um, you know, when when things were going great for this team between 2013 and 2015, that place was bumping. It was it was the place to be. Like you couldn't believe it that like seats were going for an incredible amount of money on the on the uh, the uh, ticket buying apps. Uh, you almost couldn't even go to the box offices to get tickets. Um, you know, things were going well. And then as soon as things start going bad, you have the, the, the president of the ball club come out and say, well, fans quit coming. That's why we've, we've stopped investing into the team on the field. You have the GM pretty much coming out and saying the same thing. You have the pitching coach coming out and saying that it's the fans' fault that they need to be more educated on the game before they – start criticizing anybody and it really seems like the manager is just trying to get fired at this point so at this point with the pirates organization i just don't get it i don't get where they come off where the city of pittsburgh owes them so much when the taxpayers money of allegheny county built the goddamn stadium sorry for the language but if anything you owe the city more than anything because the 10,000 people that still go to your games on a Thursday night when, in the middle of April when it's freezing cold outside or when it's October when you're 25 and a half games out of first place and you're in dead last in the National League, those are the people you owe any money to or anything. You, you owe them pretty much the whole organization because they keep you people afloat right now. So right now the, the Pirates need, need to take a look in the mirror and figure out, you know, are we – trying to back these people that have supported us through our lowest of lows and our highest of highs, or are we just going to abandon them too? I just don't get how, how people can still support a franchise that can be that arrogant. At least the team that's across the street over at Heinz field can be arrogant enough because they got six Super Bowl rings and the team over that plays on fifth Avenue downtown at uh, PPG paints arena has five rings and they can be arrogant enough to not talk to media or, you know, handled business the way that they do but for the team that hasn't won a playoff series since 1979 and to be this arrogant i just don't get how where they get off being acting the way they they do as an organization it's it's pretty insane when you mentioned that between 2013 and 2015 that was the place to be because if you look at the other sports across the river and in downtown um you see that 
the Steelers were in some dark days. I think back-to-back eight and eight seasons during that time. And the Penguins with Bilesma coming out and the and the reign of Mike Johnson before Sully took over, it was pretty do, doom and gloom, like I mentioned earlier, um, where the Pirates were the best team to be, to watch. And it was actually a fun time to be paying attention to the team and following them. The one thing that just killed them was not being able to score in a playoff game in 2014 and 2015. But if there's any if there's any leniency towards what Ray Searage has, and not with what he said, but what he has on that team, is that that bullpen did not get better. And that's one thing Neil Huntington uh, raved about, was that this bullpen is going to be something to be watched out for. And I'm pretty sure he only meant Felipe Vasquez. I want to guess that Huntington probably thought he cloned him a couple times in different forms and you know, different handedness and thought that they were going to be the best bull, bullpen in the game or one of the best. And that's been the thing that's been the Achilles heel for them the entire season. So to have Ray Searage have, you know, Tweedledee and Tweedledum and everyone else come through starting a game where I'm pretty sure, Jeff, if you play your cards right, you'll be able to get a start next week. Um, and you'll get lit up, and then somehow it'll be the fans' fault for you know attending the game when Jeff is thrown on the mound for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Yeah, so, damn right, not my fault. I need some run support. <laughs> the Pirates are given run support. They had an eight-four lead in yesterday's game. Well, it'll be Sunday when we put this out there. An eight-four lead in the seventh inning. And one thing to to just go off about before we get into our next segment, because we can go on for the entire show just talking about this. Kyle Crick does not have the authority to wave off his manager to say when he needs to be pulled and when he doesn't. Kyle Crick, this is when I turned on the game. There were two outs and runners on second and third with a four-run lead when Kyle Crick was on the mound. On a full-count pitch, he hit... Uh, Munoz with a fastball like right on the letters and you know that's just the Pirates throwing high and in right <laughs> so absolutely yeah with runners on second and third and a full count you obviously want to hit that that batter there so all right it slips from his hand whatever the next batter the next pitch is a is a breaking ball that slips off his hand and hits that batter I forget the the batter's name but you know, that scores a run. It makes it 8-5. And Clint Hurdle was going to go out there and pull Kyle Crick. And Crick waved him off saying, no, it slipped off my hand. I'm fine. So on the next full count with the next batter, Lane Thomas, he puts a fastball basically belt high. And Thomas takes it all the way past the left field bullpen for the grand salami to take the 9-8 lead. And that's when I shut off the game because I really just couldn't handle it anymore. And... It makes me think back to what you said earlier about Clint Hurdle is that I don't even know if he's trying to get fired, but he's become so laissez-faire with everything that he does in the in his uh, everyday approach to this game that that I see, but I'm not that educated enough, so this is only what the, the dumb guy watches on the television sees, is that he just almost looks like he doesn't care anymore and has basically put up the white flag of saying, you know, go for it. I got two more years left after this. You can buy me out if you want. Who cares? We don't have a team out there. Maybe he's just mad at what the front office has put together for him. Maybe he's just out of it and didn't even expect to get a contract extension last year. So 
that's one other thing that just is blew up in my mind was that the Pirates found yet another way to lose a game, and this is and that I I'm I'm done. <laughs> so um so here's how we'll wrap up this Pirate talk here because uh, we got some some better stuff to talk about as far as playoff races and stuff. So um, Dave, my question for you as a Pirate fan number one is. Hearing these comments from Ray Searage and even from the top of the Pirates organization all the way down to the pitching coach who has had prodigies that have left the organization or in our perennial Cy Young candidates, um, how do you feel about these comments as, as a direct fan? Because these are directly shot at you and everybody else that, that continues to go through the turnstiles of PNC Park. Um, and two, what is your expiration date on Clint Hurdle? The expiration date was last year. So, so to make that question better, when do you think he, he's cut loose? Uh, after the season's over, they're not going to do it in the middle of the season. I don't think that Bob Nutting or nor Neil Huntington wants to see Hurdle leave because of those three years. And honestly, I wish those three years would go away because you see how much they've tried to hold on to what they had before. And now they're just grasping at straws because of the success that they had in those three years. Jeff, they won one playoff game. They lost in a they lost a two one lead to the Cardinals that next round and couldn't score a run the next two years in the wild card games, losing twelve nothing and a combined score. Would you rather trade in those three years for more mediocrity because they would have at least tried to make changes in that coaching staff? I just find it I find it hard at that point that you can let a guy like that go. Probably after 2017, maybe you're you're not looking to extend him on a contract, but um, I think I think he was given the benefit of the doubt because he chose that company line so well, and it's the whole "woe is us, we're the we're the small market team, and that's why we can't compete." And I think he just walks that line so well. That's why he got that extension. I mean, Kansas City at least won a World Series, and now they're barely going to win 60 games this year. I'd love to be in that situation because right. they, know, they now know it's, it's a time for a new era to change it over. Right, and, you, and to, I know we, we've bashed the Pirates a lot, and I, I love doing it as much as the next person that hates the Pirates. But um, the thing is, is like they show promise at times, too. Like the Chris Archer trade, yeah, it looks terrible now, but at the time, like there were people jumping up and down Federal Street saying this was – Finally, they bought in. They they bought at the deadline for once. They should have did it back in 13, 14, and 15, but they did it now. They're in a wild card race, and they went out and got the best pitcher on the market. Did it work out? No, it didn't work out. But to have that mentality that that it didn't that you know, hey, we're going to take a shot at this, and hopefully it can put us to that next level was awesome. It was awesome to see the city that was excited for a a big name pitcher come to Pittsburgh. And, you know, you kind of wish it worked out and it kind of is unfortunate for Pirate fans because now you you have to start to question whether you're ever going to see something like that happen ever again where they take a chance at the deadline on on a big name and in the fear of it not working out and being how the Chris Archer thing worked out. But um, it just seems like the organization as a whole just doesn't try anymore. And I it's it's almost like... It, it, it's almost embarrassing for the city at this point. This makes me more excited when they win the 2044 World Series. 
Didn't we say that in 98 when they were supposed to win the 2020 World Series? I don't know. I was six years <laughs> old. So, <laughs> I, don't even, so I didn't even know there was going to be a 2020 back then. <laughs> yeah, everything was supposed to end about four times over. Yeah, so. Back then. Uh, all right, yell at us about yelling at the pirates. Why we shouldn't? Why I shouldn't support them anymore? But that'll never change. Um, hit us up on Facebook and Twitter at IC Takes I C E Y Takes all together one word on the Twitter. I C Takes with Jeff and Big Dave on Facebook. Jeff, what is next? What is next? We got a big week of baseball coming that it's going to affect some playoff races here. Um, we're just going to go down the list of uh, big series that we have. Listed top five series going on this week. Uh, number one, let's we got we talked about your favorite team for a while and we bashed them pretty good. But let's talk about the the uh, New York Mets and the Atlanta Braves uh, in Atlanta this week for a three game set. Um, the Mets are kind of hot right now, Dave. They're they're pretty hot right now, but um, haven't really made a, that much of a dent in the National League East uh, standings. But they're right up there in the wild card right now. Uh, what do you think of this series? It's probably one of the better ones that we have on the slate for this week. Um, there's a couple other battles to look at. Um, I'll just go through them quickly, and I'll get back to your question about the Mets. You got the Reds. You got the Cincinnati Reds at Washington. You got the Boston Red Sox at Cleveland. You got the Chicago Cubs at Philly. And you got the Minnesota Twins in Milwaukee. But if there's a team that could be the polar opposite of the Pirates, do you think it would be the Mets, Jeff? I would agree with that. Um, I, what the Mets have done in the, the last 12 games or whatever it may be that their streak is right now, um, it, it is impressive. I will give them credit because a lot of people thought they'd be selling off Noah Syndergaard and um, Diaz or closer. They, a lot of people thought they were going to sell off, and they ended up betting on themselves. They got Marcus Stroman at the deadline, um, and they've ma- they've made a run. My only concern here is – is that, you know, if they get to a one-game playoff, you okay, they could probably win that. But do you think their hitting can sustain what they're doing right now? I don't think so. Well, see, and that's, that's the issue right now because it's always about the, the timing of when you're getting hot and how do you sustain that timing. So just like you said, can the hitting really stay up to par – I don't think it can stay up to what it's doing right now, but there's always an equilibrium where their pitching is always been considered pretty solid going into the regular season with their starters, with Noah Syndergaard and last year's Cy Young winner of Jacob DeGrom, and they added Marcus Stroman this year, which you know people really did not see, and they also have, what, Steven Matz and Zach Wheeler, it can ba- it can balance out when the offense gets cold, the pitching might get hot, and they can win those two one one nothing games consecutively. So I'm not really worried as, about the bats as much as as much as uh, as long as everything doesn't go cold at once, they can still compete and make this improbable comeback. Because of all, all the things that we mentioned about the Mets this year, for them to be playing the way they are now, it's pretty impressive and uh, almost unheralded to what they're doing because right on the Friday after the all-star break, they were 40 and 51. You go to today's date that we're recording, which is August 12th right now from 40 and 51, 
They are 61 and 57. To go 21 and 6 since the All Star break and still be eight games back because the Atlanta Braves are just that good. You're welcome. It's... Th- thanks for the <laughs> thanks for the push here. I appreciate that. Yeah. This is the time where the Mets can really show that they're in it to, I'm not going to say win it, they're in it to compete for it, or it was just a flash in the pan. But that was that's a, almost a month of being hot. So it's not really a flash in the pan as much as much as it is they're living up to their potential based off what they had and what they brought into the uh, trade deadline from the all after the All-Star break. So this is probably, if... You know, with me being a Pirates fan, I I can pick whoever I want because there's no bias here. <laughs> um, this is the series to watch this week, I believe. And okay. I don't know the pitching matchups right now. I I got them here for you if you want. Okay. Them. Uh, so game one, Max Free, uh, thirteen and four, four one one ERA. Uh, he goes against Zach Wheeler in game one, uh, nine and six with a four twenty ERA. Uh, game two, Steven Matz, seven and seven with a four point four nine ERA, and Dallas Keuchel, three and five with a four eight three ERA. And then the uh, the third game is Marcus Stroman, six and eleven with a three two zero ERA, uh, goes against Julio Tehran with a seven seven ERA, seven and seven record with a three point three five ERA. About to say seven seven ERA. How is he still no, starting? <laughs> Julio has been very good for us this year, so. Right, and you know it's it's funny. I think aside from uh, aside from Freed, these aren't the the top starters for each team going at it. Uh, I mean, you could argue with between Degrom's year last year. He might not be the number one, but he's still the number one in my mind. And uh, is I'm, I'm forgetting the names of the rest of the starters for the Braves. Um, but for I, the series or just yeah, in the rotation? In the rotation. In um, you're missing uh, Mike Soroka, Mike fulton um, Yeah, that That's would it. be it. And then right, the, so the ro- rotating rookie. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, Soroka's been on it. Mm-hmm. So, if you if you have Soroka and Freed in that series, I'd probably give the edge to the Braves, but... I mean, right now, I think it's a coin flip for me, and it'll. I think whoever wins Game One will win the series. Um, yeah. It could it could be an easy bounce back for the next team in Game Two, but then um, I, I I can see them alternating wins here. So yeah, Game I, One, I, Game Two, Game Three is all different. Yeah, I could see this being a um, a three game series, but I think the Braves are going to take the first two. Um, Max Fried, if he's got that curveball. Um, if you read some scouting reports, some say it's the best curveball in baseball. Um, but it's the consistency that hurts him sometimes. Um, so if he can keep that under control, I think the Braves take game one. I think they take game two as well. Dallas Keuchel's numbers, yeah, the four eight three ERA is a little concerning. But he actually pitches very well at SunTrust Park. It's when he's away, on the road is what uh, hurts him the most. And I think Marcus Stroman is going to outpitch uh, Julio Tehran. I think that's going to be like a – like a three-two no decision kind of kind of game. Um, I think both pitchers are going to shine very well, um, but I think the Bra- the Braves take this two, uh, two out of three. All right. So, um, I mean, would you say, as a Braves fan, or even not as a Braves fan, that this is the series to watch this week, or did you like any of the other ones a little bit more? Um, 
I don't know. I, I feel like that Washington Cincinnati series is a little intriguing as well. Um, maybe that maybe that Cubs Philly series too. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, I'd probably say that the Mets and the Braves are probably the most intriguing one, just because it's two teams that I mean, if if the Mets find a way to to sweep the Braves and you know, Lord help us that 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 would happen. But um, you know, the Mets all of a sudden get themselves into a play uh, contention for the division. You're five games out, and you have the Braves coming up to. Uh, to Queens next, next week for a weekend series. So um, it's, I think it's more important for, for the Mets, but I think people are underestimating how important it is for Atlanta to at least take a, a game or two in this series. Yeah. Because with Atlanta winning their division last year and having the big enough lead that they had this year on top of all the teams, including the Phillies who everyone had as like basically world series contenders immediately when Harper joined the team and right now, with a winning record, they're still in fourth place in the division. So they got to climb above other teams, even if they do get hot. It doesn't guarantee them that they're going to jump anyone. But then you've got the Nationals, who have always had a solid team. And when you have Scherzer and Strasburg on the same rotation, you're basically argued as the top two pitchers, top two duo in the whole um, MLB. And there's others that you can put up there as well, with like Verlander and Cole, but um, you also yeah. So I mean, you have Atlanta, who's been basically dominating the since you know what mid May you would say. Yeah, about mid May, maybe early June at the very latest. But yeah. So and to have a, at least a double digit lead on top of everyone in, in the division, um, is this could this could be the dog days for Atlanta because you know this team is good, but we've seen them blow leads in September and miss out on the playoffs. Right. Right. Yeah. I I think it's really important to start. um, You know, you're, you're trying to figure out what's going to work. I think they have the Dodgers coming in later in the month too, which could be a big series Um, with the Braves only being nine games back in the win column from, from the Dodgers. And um, you know, you want to keep that separation from Chicago as well, because the last thing you want to get into is um, facing the Dodgers early in the playoffs as well. Exactly. So, well, let's um, maybe let's switch gears here. Um, there's one thing that I did want to mention, Jeff. Okay. We, we talked about the Mets and their improbable climb to where they're at right now, but they're still eight and a half back. Mm-hmm. Let's just talk about the Indians real quick. Okay. They've actually pulled off the double-digit comeback and are now currently tied with the Minnesota Twins. At seventy-one and forty-seven, Jeff, do you think this is the most uh, battle-proven team in all of MLB? Given that the injuries that they've had, and um, you know, trading another pitcher who arguably is um, a top twenty pitcher in the majors, but the one-year deal thing with Trevor Bauer maybe is another reason that they wanted to move him. Do you think the the Indians are the most battle-proven team, meaning that they've gotten over the hump with all the injuries that they've had to keep themselves in it. I think them and the St. Louis Cardinals are the two teams that fans across baseball have just completely written off when we were at the all-star break. I remember we were discussing if there would be any surprises going into the coming out of the all-star break that we could expect. And I believe we both agreed that the uh, central divisions on each side in the American league and the national league, um, we're going to be the two surprises. 
Um, as you sit right now, uh, the St. Louis Cardinals, which I believe they're what five five games out of first place, going uh, in, coming out. Yeah, the Cardinals. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because right now they're two games back. But two I, games back, but I think at the at the break they were five, right? They're like I five can, or six. I, I can pull it up, but I, you sound right. Okay, and then the 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 Indians, like you said earlier, they were they were a du- double digit uh, games back um, from Minnesota, and then they've just gone on a run too. So um, I think those two teams are the um, are the two teams that have been written off and maybe underestimated more than anything. And um, it seems that Cleveland just has that magic right now that they're able to to catch the Twins and to to fight the, their way into first place um, is huge. And it's whether they can hang on. And, you know, sometimes the uh, the battle all the way up to the top of the mountain is the hardest. It's um, it's staying up there that that really defines if a team's ready to to be a uh, champion or not. Yeah, the Cardinals were two games back um, of the division lead they were in third place so they're okay. now in second place at two games back okay yeah but i mean i just picked a random date in june uh june 12th that's when the the cleveland indians were 10 and a half back of the minnesota twins and you know even it doesn't even matter when the deficit is double digit games in baseball is hard to get past so I'll give the Cleveland Indians all the credit in the world for the comeback that they've been able to put together. But now it's about uh, sustaining that. I believe they got two out of three against the Twins this past weekend to tie it up. Um, So, you know, this is a team that is set to even be better with Kluber um, that might be coming back because he's been on the 60-day I.L., um, I know uh, Carlos Carrasco has been injured a couple times. I'm, I forget if he's back or not. But, I mean, th- those are two excellent pitchers that the Indians are missing right now that they can just do a lot of damage with and look to put the Twins in the dust. Yeah, and right now they got Yasiel Puig on a three-game suspension from his uh, his actions in that, that brawl with the Pirates the day he got traded, which is even more hilarious now that I talk about it now. Um, so, yeah, I... I do you think the Indians hang on here, or do you think the Twins are going to be back and forth and uh, end up taking over? I think it's going to be back and forth. Um, you would say history is on Cleveland's side, but I still have Minnesota winning this with their, with their bats. Um, that's been the one thing that's been keeping them alive. Now, usually it's pitching that'll get you farther, but this is almost turning into a, a hitter's league now where you know whoever can pimp out the most home runs and, you know, get to 10 first wins. So I'm going to have to give it to the Minnesota twins. Okay. Okay. Uh, get your little air horn ready. And you know, we got a hot take alert here or icy (laughs) take alert. Sorry. Uh, this is going down to the wire. We're having to play in game for the AL central book it right now. Book it, book it right now. Okay. All right. So, no, you heard it from Jeff, folks. He, he's he's calling it out there. So, anything else about this? Nope, I think I'm good. All right. So, what do we have next? So the the MLB schedule for 2020 came out this year, or for yeah today. I'm sorry. Um, and there's some some notable games on the schedule. The um, the MLB has gone into the special event game, kind of similar to the Winter Classic in hockey or 
the the neutral site games the NFL does over in London and all that stuff. So a uh, couple games on the schedule that that stick out that are that are not your conventional games. Um, the New York Mets and Miami Marlins will be playing a game in San Juan, Puerto Rico. We've seen that before. Um, the Cubs and Cardinals are going over to London again, which uh, the Red Sox and Yankees did this year. And the Yankees and the White Sox are playing a game at the Field of Dreams in Iowa. So, Dave, my question to you is, how do you feel about these like special event games that Major League Baseball is getting involved with? I think it's about damn time because this is a sport that can really relish on stuff like this. For example, the the game in Williamsport or the, the series, or I believe it's just one game between the Cardinals and the Pirates. Yeah, yeah, that was played in Williamsport. Yeah, so, I mean, there's ways to do that, but I think it'll even be better when the Field of Dreams is made. And you said I, it was the Yankees that are playing in that series, right? Yeah, the Yankees and the White Sox. Yeah, so, um, and even, uh, was it last year or two years ago when the Braves and uh, I forget who else they played, played on uh, a military base? Yeah, yeah, I forget who they played. I think it was at Fort Bragg. Yeah, so there's plenty that baseball can do for the sport to kind of get an inside look and have the great TV broadcast and get all the special details about what was put into the field and everything else because... Like you mentioned, when the Red Sox and Yankees were playing in London, it's basically everyone's dream to put together a baseball field and make the baseball field. Um, this is another opportunity when doing the Field of Dreams because it's basically what it was. So, um, I don't know. This is great for baseball. It's, it's great to follow along with where everyone's playing and get get like an inside look as to for the scenery that's around um, the, the, the game being played. Right, and the one thing I, I do like that baseball is doing, and they did it this year with the um, with the the London game, is that they they went with their best foot forward, and what's going to bring eyeballs to the TV more than anything. They did Red Sox Yankees, and then to go back to London, and they're going with basically the the equivalent for the na- the, the National League with the Cubs and the Cardinals. Um, the fact that they're putting like their best teams out there for some of these special events. Um, the, again, the Yankees being involved, uh, they had, they probably picked the White Sox because it's probably the closest team to Iowa to, um, to deal with that. Um, and then to have the, the, uh, the Hispanic influence with, with the Miami Marlins, that'll be great for that organization as well. But, um, I, I kind of agree with you. It's about damn time baseball got into these because you see it with hockey, with the, with the winter classic and the, you know, some people think it got dulled down with the stadium series. Um, football kind of does it with, with the London games, even though they turn into somewhat of a joke sometimes. So um, I, I agree with you. I think this is a great move by baseball. Um, I know I watched the, the London game a little bit this year. So um, hopefully it gets more people involved in the game of baseball. And, um, you know, I think that field of dreams thing is going to be real cool. They're supposedly they're only doing like, 8,000 seats. So it's still going to yep. be like a, um, like a sandlot kind of, kind of feel to it. It's not going to have, you know, the, the bells and whistles like a regular stadium. So I think that should be pretty cool. So one other thing that I wanted to bring up with the, the, the games to watch, not really the spectacle that uh, the field of dreams brings or the London game brings, 
but the homecoming for Mike Trout, July 17th through the 19th against Philadelphia, and also playing Bryce Harper, uh, that's probably going to be one of the most expensive, um, we'll say, with the 30 uh, teams, 30 stadiums there. It's going to be one of the most expensive tickets in all of baseball that year. It's going to be that series. Yeah, I would probably agree with you on that. Um, especially when, when a superstar comes home like that, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure he's going to have a lot of family in the, uh, in the seats and he's going to want to put on a show and, um, you know, maybe he'll get enough publicity to, uh, to satisfy Rob Manfred. And another, another one that'll be uh, pretty interesting to watch yeah, on June 19th through the 21st, the Red Sox go to Wrigley field and the 26th through the 28th of that same month, the Chicago Cubs visit the New York Yankees. So it'll be a tough stretch for the Chicago Cubs in those couple games. Yeah, the uh, the National League Central has to deal with the American League East, which is always a uh, tough division to play in interleague because their benches are so deep that uh, it's it's tough. So um, we'll see how your Pirates do. I think um, they'll they'll have a an interesting time against the the Red Sox, Yankees, Blue Jays. Um, is there any games for, as far as an interleague standpoint you'll be excited to see? Well, I mean, as a fan, even though they'll probably lose, I want to. I'd like to see the July Fourth weekend with the Red Sox and Pirates. Okay, okay. I think the one that I would be be intrigued to go to, and not even being a Pirate fan, um, seeing the Toronto Blue Jays come to town. I think that yeah. would be a low key hot ticket to see um, Vlad Guerrero, Bo Bouchette, um, and the the young sluggers of the Toronto Blue Jays come to come to Pittsburgh. I think that would be an intriguing watch. See one of those two hit the Jumbotron in left field. Or the UPMC building across the river. One or the other. Depends on if Kyle Crick's pitching. <laughs> but, it's, but, it's fan, done. But, but it's the fans' fault. Yeah, it's always the fans' fault. So. Uh, real quick, too. Uh, this was a terrible mistake on my end. Um, the Field of Dreams, the reason they picked the Red Sox, or the White Sox, is because it's all about the Black Sox. So, Yeah. That movie is based on the Black Sox in the 1919 World Series. Little so, omission. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll I'll correct myself because I know about two minutes ago people were freaking out that I got that wrong. So All just right, correcting myself there. Um, just some breaking news coming out of um, the internet that Greg Holland might be going to the uh, the Washington Nationals to shore up the bullpen a little bit. So there's a little bit of news for you there coming through the wire all right i like that i like that if the if the nationals can secure greg holland that gives them a, like an even better chance to stay up for that wild card spot and i'm not really going to say division but we'll we'll see how it goes after this this after when we get into september that's a direct shot with the uh the rough weekend sean doolittle had right mm, perhaps but he, he shut it down on sunday so on Sunday, but geez, oh man, three-run lead going into the ninth on Friday. That just didn't help out at all. Yeah, I, I've, I've seen blown leads happen Especially, this weekend. So. Oh, yeah, you've seen you've seen it in the last 28 games. Uh, 24 or 28, but yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Are we ready to move on? Yes, I think we are. Okay, so for those of you that have stuck through with us through the summer, we have a little um hockey draft game that we have we'll post the uh the picture that we're going to be referencing this from but it's basically one of our stupid little draft games that we do um 
We're going to list down five players from each position, left wing, center, right wing, um, D1, D2, and a goaltender. Um, and me and Dave are basically going to draft basically our best lineup that we can based off of, um, you know, based off the names that are listed. And, you know, we'll put it out on Twitter, see what you guys think, and see what uh, – what lineups you guys decide to go with. So, Dave, are you ready? I believe so. How do we want to pick this? Uh, I'll let you go first. Um, do we want to just go – yeah, we'll just go by position. We'll start with goaltender. How's that? Okay. All we'll right. We'll build from, so. from the net out. So, uh, your choices at goaltender are Pekarine, Sergei Bobrovsky, Andre Vasilevsky, Carey Price, and Jordan Bennington. Dave, who's your first pick? Well – I can tell you who I'm not going to pick, and that's Bobrovsky. Okay, interesting. Um, yeah, I think that it was only one year, so I'm not going to go with him. So I think give me give me Pecorine because of all these guys, none of them, uh, uh, only one of them has a cup, and that's uh, Jordan Bennington. But Pecorine has been in that spot to at least try to win it in. Like Carey Price, he's been carrying that team for his entire career in that goaltender position. Um, I almost went with Vasilevsky, but I think the the overall consistency that Pecorine brings um, will be the one that um, secures, the, secures the bag for me. So give me Rene there. Okay, okay. Um, I'm going to go with Carey Price on this one. Um, I, I like the veteran leadership. Um, I like his ability to, to move the puck, get the puck to my defenseman, get get the play out of our end as quickly as possible. So, um, and he has winning pedigree as well. He's, he's won a few gold medals with team Canada and the Olympics and some international play too. So, um, I'm going to take Carey price here. So we're, we're going to move on to our first defenseman that we're going to pick. Um, your choices are Morgan Riley, Mark Giordano, Drew Doughty, uh, Eric Carlson and Roman Yossi. So you want me to go first again, or are you going to take uh, I'll pick. I'll pick. I'm going to go with um, – I'll go with Drew Doughty on this one. I, I I like his ability to move the puck. He also plays with a little bit of an edge, too. Um, he's kind of kind of like the perfect all-around defenseman for, for a coach that wants someone to be able to move the puck, but he's not, a way to shy, not afraid to shy away from um, physical play as well. So I'll take Drew Doughty. All right. Um, you know, Giordano had a hell of a year last year, but once again, I'm trying to go with consistency, and I'll take Eric Carlson there um, with the with the move to San Jose and uh, given what he gets to play with with Brent Burns down there and anybody else that he gets paired up with. He's still an electric defenseman in my mind where he knows how to score the puck and knows how to stay back on defense and really prevent from the opposition from uh, getting past him. So... I like Eric Carlson. Okay. So, uh, moving on to defenseman number two. Um, you got Seth Jones, Brent Burns, Alex Petrangelo, uh, Victor Hedman, and P.K. Subban. Your pick. You know, I almost went with, uh, I just want to say say the last name this way, Peter Angelo. Okay. <laughs> um, All right. But I almost went with him. But I'm going with the man on the bottom, the biggest, one of the biggest trades that happened this past offseason, uh, P.K. Subban. 
Okay. Uh, put, putting him together with Eric Carlson, I think that can really work. And, you know, I'm, I also wanted to talk about the situation that he's in, in New Jersey and how much he could probably flourish uh, this year, given how New Jersey has basically always played since the late 90s and where it's really a defensive, a defensive game. So I think P.K. Subban really relishes the opportunity in New Jersey, and that's another reason why I pick him, because he's, he's solid all around. Uh, he, he can move the puck, he can score, and he can, he'll stay back and make sure that no one's getting past him on defense and, and lay some hits out there as well. Um, I like to think that he might be a jack-of-all-trades and a master of none, but that's another reason why he's one of the top defensemen in the league. Okay, okay. I, I like that pick, um, and I'm, I like it even more because you almost took the guy I wanted. Um, I'm going to take <laughs> Alex Petrangelo. Um, I think he's the perfect shutdown guy to play with a guy like Drew Doughty. Drew Doughty kind of likes to run around a little bit. Um, being the physical guy that he is, being able to move the puck that he is. Alex Petrangelo is one of the top steady defensemen in the league. Um, I, I, I like his, his reach, his size, um, but he's still able to move the puck. He's still able to skate and shut down some of the best forwards in the NHL. So give me uh, Alex Petrangelo as my second defenseman. Okay, where are we going to now, Jeff? So we're going to go to right wing here, and this is where it gets tough. Getting into the forwards is going to be be an interesting combination what a lot of people are going to pick here. So we're going to go to right wing here. You've got uh, Nikita Kucherov, the reigning Hart Trophy winner, the uh, Art Ross Trophy winner. He pretty much won, won every award you could. Um, except the Stanley Cup. Except the Stanley Cup and the Conn Smythe. Um, Patrick Kane, Patrick Laine. Phil Kessel and Mark Stone. Uh, Dave, who you got? Oh, you let me pick first again. Yeah, I'm gonna let you pick first because I know you're not gonna pick the guy I want. <laughs> okay, well, you know Nikita Kucherov. I don't know if that was gonna be just one one year where he just took advantage of every opportunity he had. I don't know if that's really gonna. You're not gonna sustain that that play that he had last year. I'd like to see another performance out of him before I pick him out of everyone. So the one guy who's basically been getting it done his entire career is Patrick Kane. And this is a dude that early on with paired with Jonathan Taves and, you know, having Duncan Keith back there, they, they had a great, um, they had a great team around and uh, uh, Joel Quinville as well uh, being the coach that he was um, having Patrick Kane and all those other guys really just beat people down they would score in clutch situations. They would score from awkward angles. I still remember a goal that Taves, I think, scored behind the goalie line. And it was like Sidney Crosby, like bouncing off the helmet uh, mm-hmm. of the goalie. But I think Patrick Kane is still uh, one of those fiery guys out there that's hard to contain. Um, knows how to knows how to score the goals in the right moment and get rid of the puck when he needs to. So I like Patrick Kane here. Yeah, when you mentioned the uh, the awkward goals that 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 crew always seemed to get get, uh, don't forget the the Stanley Cup winning goal Patrick Kane scored. That there was like a delay; they had to make sure the puck actually went in the net because um, it hit hit under like that pad that's underneath the net. So um, I do hear you on the on like kind of like the weird angle goals that they used to score. Um, I'm gonna go off the board here. Um, no disrespect to Kucherov by any means. He put up some big numbers, but I'm going to go with Mark Stone on this one. Um, I 
once we get to our other picks, it'll make more sense. But I'm going to go with another uh, defensive-minded forward here. But he still has a knack for scoring goals and scoring big goals. We saw it when he was with Ottawa. We saw it when he ended up getting traded to Vegas. He was a big part of their um, their short-lived run, unfortunately, um, with a little bit of controversy with the San Jose Sharks. But uh, but I'm going to take Mark Stone here um, at right wing. So all let me right. get that written down here. And no, that, was, go- that was almost one of my picks, but I really didn't know how to defend it. So uh, that's why I went with Kane. I got you. This is going to be a tough one. This this is going to make like the whole um, the whole thing. Actually, no, we're not going to do center. We'll do center last. Actually, uh, we'll go to left wing here. Um, you have Artemi Panarin, Alex Ovechkin, Brad Marchand, Taylor Hall, and Vladimir Tarasenko. Dave, who are you taking? Oh, you're letting me pick first the rest of the time. You're yeah, you're really... yeah. I need a breather. Need a breather. A lot of talking. <laughs> All right. Well. I was really just going to go based off of your first pick, so now uh, I wasn't expecting getting the first overall here. Yeah, but... I, tra- I traded down. Traded down. <laughs> uh, I, I like to think that there there's a little bias in here, so that's why I'm not going with a couple players. But I'll, give me Ar- Artemi Panarin Ooh, uh, okay. on, the other okay. side, on the other side with Patrick Kane. Uh, I mean, Alex Ovechkin can score from wherever, and he'll lay down the boom. But no, it really doesn't really have the, the speed that I'm looking for up front Panarin being the younger body obviously is going to be a little bit faster um I know you have the Tarasenko very slippery in my mind with how he can just uh, evade defenders and look to get the puck in the net but I like Panarin because I've always enjoyed players that are just solid all around and not just a specialty so I think Panarin it fits that mold like a PK Subban on the on the defensive side so I like the the new ranger Panarin Okay, I'm gonna go across the uh, the Hudson River, and I'm gonna go with Taylor Hall here. Um, I like how quick he is. Uh, he's gonna fit very much into the style that uh, the group that I'm drafting here. Um, you know, we're we're trying to get the puck north. We're trying to attack the offensive zone with speed. Um, and the w- best way to describe Taylor Hall is speed, 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 high octane offense. Like you Pitt fans always got to got to hear from a former head coach so um so taylor hall will be my pick at at the left wing side all right so all right so here's the main event here this is going to be tough Uh, the list of names uh, and i hope when people do this if they submit one on twitter or the facebook um they don't have the bias here but here's here's the names that you get to choose from here dave uh you got connor mcdavid Elias Pettersson, Sidney Crosby, Steven Stamkos, and Nathan McKinnon. Dave, who are you taking? It's hard to not pick him. Hey, it, there's no other reason. I was just going to go based off your first pick again. Okay. But I think going with Patrick Kane and Artemi Panarin, players who are, I mean, Kane's been around. He's a, a much smarter player than he was back then. Panarin's still probably learning a little bit, but can adapt to the way that Sidney Crosby plays out there. So, obviously, if you're letting me pick first here, I'm, there's no reason to not pick this man who has just been getting it done year after year after year. Um, he's 32 and still glides around like it's he's 22. Um, he puts up ridiculous plays. And has always been a, a model of consistency when healthy um, ever since the, the dark years when he kept getting concussions. So 
the how can you not pick him based off everyone else on that list? So, yeah, I, you know what? I like that pick a lot for you. Um, it, I'm just picturing how that line would go. You kind of have your your sniper and Artemi Panarin who can kind of be like an all around playmaker. Um, you have Patrick Kane. That's he's your hands. He's get, a, a lot of the plays are going to end up going through him. And then believe it or not, Sidney Crosby is the grinder on that line. He's going to work the corners <laughs> and basically win every battle on the wall there. So I do like that pick for you. Um, the person I'm going to go with, and I know I'm probably going to get roasted on this, and I I, I, I might be sharing some favoritism here. I'm, t- I'm taking Nathan McKinnon here. Yes. No, taking, I like that. I I'm like taking that McKinnon. Um, the the puck's pretty much going to go through him. Taylor Hall's going to push the D back and give him room to use those magical hands and the magical feet that he has. Um, Mark Stone's going to be the one that kind of plays the defensive side of the puck among the forwards. Um, so I'm taking uh, Nathan McKinnon, our unofficial captain of Icy Takes from the playoffs last year. So yes. uh, I got Mac in the in the middle there. So that wraps up the draft here. Um, Dave, if I got your roster correct, you had Pecorine and net Eric Carlson on the back end with PK Subban, Patrick Kane on the right side, Panarin on the left. And you had Sid Crosby in the middle. Is that correct? Yes, yes that is very correct. Okay. And then my lineup is Carrie price and net drew Dowdy and Alex Petrangelo on D Mark stone on the right. Taylor Hall on the left and Nathan McKinnon in the middle. So um, we're going to post this picture on the Facebook and Twitter. Um, if you folks would like to put a roster together, put it in the comments or respond to the, to the tweet that we put out and uh, we'll be, it, we'll maybe mention a few on uh, next week's show. All right. Okay. So, I like so that. that. I, here, uh, I will say that cause I thought you were going to go first on the center pick. I was going to go with Nathan McKinnon when, you, I thought, weren't going to pick him. So, I no, I, I really enjoyed that last pick that you had there. I think that really uh, boded well with what you what you put together. Right. I mean, and and I, th- I think it – I mean, obviously, everybody's going to want to take McDavid. He's arguably the best player in hockey. Some people would say Sid's still at still the top of the mountain there. But, um, you know, to, to make it a little bit more challenging and, you know, you know, again, you, any idiot can take Connor McDavid and have a successful hockey team. So, um, just the list of names that were at center, though. I mean, you can't go wrong with any of those guys, though. No. Oh, so, no. So, but yeah. So, so again, please submit those at Icy Takes on our Facebook page on on Twitter when we put the tweet out. Uh, we'll it, we'll pick a couple. You know, have some fun with it, folks. This is kind of why we talk about stuff like this. It's also August, so. Not a whole lot to talk about. Um, so that wraps it up for Hockey Talk, Dave. Are you ready to move on to the MVPs? I think I am, Jeff. Uh, uh, how about you go first this time? Oh, can you actually go first? I have oh, to right. size mine up. I apologize. All right. All right. Well, you know, it's so for some teams in the NHL, and I'm going with an NHL um, MVP this week, um, you know, there, there hasn't really been – a lot to celebrate, but there have been some great players uh, for organizations that have been uh, uh, recently expanded. Um, I mean, the Florida Panthers, the the Blue Jackets, and, and even as early as the as recent as the Golden Knights, you know, there's still some history to be made with these teams. But the first player 
in Florida Panthers history to have his number retired, it will be uh, Roberto Luongo. Mm-hmm. The club announced that his number one will be hung from the rafters on March 7th before a game against the Montreal Canadiens. Um, and then quoted here by the, the owner, Vincent Viola, saying that Roberto is a cornerstone of Panthers history and an icon of the game. He has represented himself in the Panthers with tremendous dignity, determination, and a standard of excellence throughout his career. Roberto ex- exemplifies what it means to be a Florida Panther, his level of commitment to this franchise, his teammates, his family, and the South Florida community is second to none. There is no player more deserving to be the first Florida Panther to have his jersey number retired. So um, give it up for Roberto Luongo, who um, he leads the he leads all time. He's the all time leader for um, wins at 230 and shutouts at 38 for the for the club. So uh, give it up for. Roberto Luongo, Jeff. Well said, Dave. Well said. Uh, Roberto Luongo is definitely one of the um, one of the all-time greats. Uh, probably a Hall of Famer. I don't know about being a first ballot, but I'm sure he'll find his way in Toronto at some point. Um, I agree with that. Post-retirement. So, uh, congratulations to him. He had a, one hell of a hockey career. Um, took a lot of uh, unfair abuse when he was in Vancouver. Um you know, from from all accounts that you hear, he's an incredible human being, and uh, um, you know, couldn't couldn't be happier for a guy like that. So um, and hilarious who, on Twitter. Yeah, absolutely. The, he went on a stretch there, and like I think it was like 2011, 2012, where like he he was able to kayfabe, and that means keep it keep everything real and not um, not get away from character on Twitter, where. He was able to get everybody to believe that his Twitter handle wasn't him running it. And, like, the whole media, he had hook, line, and sinker. He had the whole league bid in on this. And it, it, it was, like, it was almost hilarious how, how he was able to just job everybody on the, on the whole, you know, this isn't me. I don't know what you guys are talking about with these tweets and everything. And, and everybody's just bought into it completely. So, um, unfortunately his kayfabe ended up getting broken and, um, he's not, you know, everybody knows it's him now, but, um, but yeah, he's an absolute character, uh, a hundred percent. All right. So what do you got? So I got one, I got a story here. It's going to be story time. It's an MVP. It's on LVP. Um, so Friday night, I went to a local establishment. I was supposed to, to meet a buddy of mine, um, get a few drinks during the pirate game or whatnot. Well, our plans got kind of little confused a little bit, and uh, I got about like two or three minutes away from the place we were going to meet. So I was just kind of like, you know what, screw it, let's go get. I'll go get a drink. I'll watch the end of the pirate game. You know, we'll have some fun here. So. I uh, I go to like this small little auxiliary bar that they have at the um at this restaurant. Got the pirate game on. I get a Red Bull vodka. Um, wa- watching the pirate game. It's the bottom of the seventh inning, and uh, the Cardinals get a leadoff walk. And just for fun, I hop on the Rivers Casino um website just to see what what odds they have on prop bets or whatever. And they had a bet that was first team to six runs was at like a plus 700 
So bet a hundred dollars, you win seven hundred dollars. So it's kind of a ballsy bet to make to make that when in the bo- bottom of the seventh inning. And if the Cardinals get the lead in the seventh, then there's seventh or eighth, they're not going to bat in the ninth. So they essentially have two at bats to get get uh, four runs at this point. It's two two in the bottom of the seventh. Um, they get the lid off walk, and then they end up going one two three. Pirates come up. I think they get a guy on base, but then they go one two three. So we get to the bottom of the eighth inning. Um, to start the inning, just to keep get everybody uh, on top here, uh, Michael Feliz was replaced by um, Richard Rodriguez. So Richard Rodriguez is on the mountain here. And Dexter Fowler comes up. He gets a leadoff double. So we're in business here. Uh, I, I have uh, 30 bucks on the Cardinals to, to get uh, six runs before the end of the game. They're the first team to six. Dexter Fowler gets a leadoff double. Tommy Edmond ends up flying out to right field to Brian Reynolds. Not ideal, but let's let's keep it moving here. Paul Goldschmidt comes up. He gets a single uh, through the left side, through uh, or through the right side, uh, past um, Kevin Newman. We got a base hit. We have Dexter Fowler comes in and scores. We're three two. Cardinals just three runs three runs away here from hitting our bet, hitting our magic number here. So Goldschmidt is on. Uh, on first, and then Marcelo Zuna comes up, two-run shot. Holy hell, it's 5-2 Cardinals now. Now, we're one run away here. Bases are clear. Um, there's a mound visit. Paul DeYoung comes up, reaches on an infield error from Jose Asuna, and um, he ends up getting all the way to third base. It, it, was a, uh, it was a fly ball, I'm sorry. It wasn't in the infield. It was in the outfield. Uh, Paul DeYoung ends up on third base, so we might be pulling this off. Another mound visit by the Pirates. And then uh, Matt Carpenter comes up. And as I see Matt Carpenter come up, I'm remembering like 2013 Matt Carpenter, who was just a singles machine, able to just get on base and make the most baseball smart plays. He uh, flies out to right, right field to Brian Reynolds. Paul DeYoung scores. Holy cow, I made 255 bucks on the St. Louis Cardinals in the Pirates bullpen. Uh, my MVP is the St. Louis Cardinals for making me a ton of money on Friday night and making a bad situation into a good situation. Um, thank you to the Pirates bullpen. They are my MVP, them and the St. Louis Cardinals. I'm about to say, you better be throwing some thanks over there to Ray Searidge and his boys. Well, it, it, it was your fault that, that they gave up those runs. So right, now I'll take, Dir- all, di- directly- I'll take all the blame. Directly to you, no one else. It wasn't. It wasn't uh, Rodriguez. It wasn't uh, Ray Searidge's fault. It wasn't Clint Hurdle's fault. It was directly Dave Miller's fault over in Somerset. For sure, for sure. So uh, I think that did, Jeff. Yeah, I think that wraps it up for the show. It was a pretty good one. Oh yeah, no, I I enjoyed it. Even even uh, yelling at the beginning was fun as well. Yeah, so. yeah. We started in a low, low place, and then we kind of built ourselves up. I kind of liked it. All right, so, uh, you know, you can always like us on Facebook and Twitter. Um, on Facebook, Icy Takes with Jeff and Big Dave. Follow us on Twitter, Icy Takes, I-C-E-Y Takes, all together one word. You can also follow our personal Twitters, at Big underscore Dave 52. At Christ underscore 51. Like our Lord and Savior, um, men. Remember, you can always uh, hit that donate link on anchor.fm. Uh, anything anything towards us is always greatly appreciated for the upkeep of the show. You can also uh, send us messages, personalized messages. Uh, um, we can respond to them on the next show. 
But until then, he's Jeff, I'm Dave, and hopefully we're better next week. And until then, stay icy, people.